Who is God in modern America? Pat and our team seek the answer to this question and many more as we navigate life as Christians in America today. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Millennial God Podcast. I'm your host, Pat Samuels, and I'm here with Pastor Glenda Farmer down here in Fayetteville, North Carolina. Uh, Pastor Farmer, why don't you go ahead and just introduce yourself to everybody, uh, maybe give us like a background of uh, where you're originally from and, and what you do now. Okay. Thank you, Patrick. Um, my name is Glenda Farmer, and um, I was born here in Spring Lake, well, in Fayetteville, North Carolina. I'm from Spring Lake. Uh, been in Spring Lake all my life as a child up into uh, through college. I went to Pine Forest High School. I graduated from Fayetteville State University and uh, then married my high school sweetheart and he joined the military and we began our travels in the military and ended back up in Fayetteville and retired here. Right back in Fort Bragg. What, uh, where all did you guys go uh, with the military? Well, we went to Germany three times. We did three tours in Germany. We went to Columbia, South Carolina, Fort Jackson. We went to Fort Stewart, Georgia, and Fort Bragg. And he did a, a non-accompanied tour to Greece. And that was our military career, mostly in Germany. Yeah, wow. Um, can you talk a little bit about what do you do now with uh, both maybe at the school and then also with, with ministry? Okay. At school, I am uh, the computer lab assistant at Douglasburg High School, which in about uh, a month from now, I will be retired. Yeah. Hey. Congrats. That's exciting. <laughs> and... Uh, I am also the founder of ASAP Outreach Ministry, which stands for All Souls Are Precious. And we were established in 1997, just from a vision from the Lord that uh, all people are important to God. And during that time, uh, the Lord gave me an outreach ministry to the point that I would reach out to uh, young women and we would do women's conferences and seminars and uh, we did uh, outreach for the homeless and giving uh, socks and things uh, you know things of need to people that were in need um, that didn't have a home to live in and we sponsored many different little uh, avenues of services men's conferences we even sponsored trips to uh, Woman Thou Art Loose uh, in Texas and Georgia and Louisiana. We did bus and plane trips of taking women to different women's conferences. Hmm. And that's what uh, ASAP is all about, outreach. Yeah, yeah, awesome. I actually didn't know uh, that you guys had done all that. Uh, yeah. So that's good to hear. Uh, <laughs> um, can you talk a little bit about uh, growing up in Fayetteville? I know you and I obviously have spoke uh, before, but uh, for, for people listening in the podcast, can you talk about growing up in Fayetteville? Um, I know from my understanding you were uh, one of the first uh, in one of the first schools to desegregate uh, here in North Carolina. Uh, can you talk a little bit about growing up and, and sort of that culture of desegregation and then, uh, you know, growing up in the civil rights era? Okay, I uh, grew up in Spring Lake. I went to an all-black school for my first and second grade year. And in third grade, the schools were integrated, and my parents uh, said that we were going to go to the white school at that time. The name of the school at that time was Spring Lake Elementary School, 
which is now changed. The name has been changed to Lillian Black. Uh, and so I grew up during that era that we went to school uh, in third grade, and it was very hard because we were not accepted in the white school. The black schools were not integrated at that time. Only the white schools were integrated. And so we went to, I went, my, all, my whole family went to the, uh, the white school, and uh, which was at that time Pine Forest um, Middle School was the high school during that era. And in 1970, when we uh, went to high school, we experienced a lot of things uh, of racism, uh, trying to break the barriers of having to ride in the back of the bus yeah. or sit on a certain side of the cafeteria. Uh, we were treated differently. And so we used to uh, have some strong black uh, teenagers that said, we're not going to accept this. Even... I had a friend, she was the only black on the uh, basketball team, and she could not go into the, uh, the locker room to change and do anything until the other white girls had finished. You know, things like that occurred during that time. But from elementary to high school, the change began to take place. Um, our high school uh, mascot during the 70s, early 70s, was the uh, Rebels. And we fought for that name to be changed. Mm -hmm. uh, and so yeah. then Pine Forest uh, Senior High, the name was changed to the Pine Forest Trojans. And so all of that took place during my time of growing up wow. in, yeah. in Spring Lake. That's awesome. I think, uh, you know, for me, growing up in the 90s, the early 2000s, we really didn't see a lot of the direct racism. You know, we didn't see segregation we didn't have kids getting bullied for their race or uh, you know told to, to do a certain action solely because of their race um, at least not whenever I was growing up uh, and I, I certainly never saw that um, throughout any of my time um, but now you know there's a lot of arguments about what race looks like in America um, and I want to get your your opinions here in a sec uh, but I think that maybe one of the biggest things that, that, that the conversation is focused around is police brutality. Uh, that's that's probably the most mm -hmm. common one right now um, in terms of racism. You know, whenever, from my perspective, I look at it, you know, I, I grew up in uh, a low-income area, an impoverished area. We had police brutality against people of every race. You know, pe you know, people were getting beat up by the police, whether they were black or white or Hispanic or whatever it may be. Uh, it wasn't necessarily focused on race. To me, uh, it was much more of a, a class issue and more of a, you know, government versus the governed mm -hmm. uh, type of issue where um, just because you were raised in that neighborhood, there was sort of an assumption uh, that you were probably doing something wrong by the police. And so anytime you had an interaction with the police that – uh, they sort of just assumed you were doing something wrong, and so they were go going to be uh, pretty rough with you. Now, there's certainly an argument to be made uh, that uh, right now in America that the, uh, the black population lives in areas where police are more likely to use uh, police force. I think that's certainly, mm -hmm. uh, that's certainly factual, uh, but maybe not so much police killings like we see in, with, with the George Floyd cases um, this summer. But, you know, what's, what's kind of your take on – where the racial divide, the racial conversation, 
has moved uh, from your time in high school where there was, I mean, direct, absolute racism, you know, like you said, mm-hmm. you guys had a lot of issues with it. Um, wh- where has it moved today? Are, are you more hopeful today? Do you see uh, more or less issues today than you did back then? Is it just different? Or, you know, what, what's kind of your take? Well, until this election came out, you know, to me, things seem to be balanced, yeah. especially being around military. Yeah. We don't see as the racism like we do outside of the military. Mm-hmm. And so once this election came, it brought back memories of how things used to be. Uh, I didn't experience the violence in the streets and stuff because we weren't allowed to go out to places or Mm -hmm. whatever. And Spring Lake was not built up to the way it is now. But I did experience things uh, where I used to go to church with my sister-in-law and we had to go in the country, a bun level, and it used to be a lot of racism and we actually got chased by uh, the KKK going to church. We were going to church, wow. and they would chase our cars, and we would have to pull up in a dark place, cut the lights off, or run in somebody's house, and uh, she would get guns and, you know, just be protected. You know, we watched crosses be burned in the yard of her mother's house and things like that. Wow. And, you know, and now uh, with all the violence, uh, the police brutality, and uh, the Black Life Matters, and everything that's going on with, you know, and everybody want to be, we the Republicans, and we're mm-hmm. the Democrats, instead of us being just one people under God, yeah. you know. Uh, we, I see some of the things uh, repeating themselves, you know, history. Yeah. And it looks like that a lot of it was lying dominant, and now things are happening and it's coming out in the open. Mm-hmm. But it's a choice. Yeah. It's a choice. And we as Christians have to make the right choice. And the right choice is that we are all brothers and sisters in Christ. And in Christ, we don't have any, uh, there's no color, no yeah. creed yeah. and religion. We all, even though we have different denominations, we're still one. But uh, I have a son who is 30 six years old yeah i think i got it right he's 36 and i worry about him i pray for him all the time because you never know when he will become the attack Mm -hmm. of of just driving by himself and something happens yeah yeah i think you kind of touched on uh one point that that i always bring up is identity Uh, i think that's a probably one of the most crucial issues we see right now in the united states is that uh we used to be you know the, the intent for the Constitution was that we were built on a uh, – it was built for a moral and religious society, mm-hmm. right? That's what they said uh, whenever they wrote it. Um, and so our identity and its creation – now I'm not saying we weren't flawed at our creation or anything like that. But uh, our identity whenever at our creation was that we had this sort of moral and religious undertones, this foundation mm-hmm. uh, within our nation uh, of religion. And – now I think we're just sort of seeing an identity crisis where people, we've, as a nation, we've walked away from faith. Uh, we've walked away from our understanding of morality. We've mm-hmm. walked away from what God intended for the country itself, uh, what God intended for individuals to live, how, how for them to live their lives. Uh, and so because of that, we're sort of just like striving for identity. You know, mm-hmm. wh- wh- where do we, where do we root our identity in? Um, and I think, you know, the reason that you and I get along great is because we probably 
both root our identity in, in Jesus Christ, and, and we say, you know, mm-hmm. no matter what differences you or I or or anybody else may ha- may have, uh, at the end of the day, we always go back to the fact that we're children of God, and and mm-hmm. we love each other for that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, what do you think about, yeah, sort of the identity of the United States? You know, uh, what what do you think about maybe the cultural identity, both, uh, you know, racial as, as part of it, but really, I mean. Repu- you mentioned it, Republican, Democrat, th- this this election has brought out a lot of people uh, in terms of election. You know, the, the, the highest uh, number of people go into the polls and go into the election mm-hmm. uh, to, get, to go vote. Um, you know, what's your thoughts on identity uh, in, well, in America right now? I think with what is going on with this election is that it's not so much I – I really don't think it's a black and white thing. Yeah. I think it's people wanting things to be done right. Yeah. As you said, this is a we, we were brought up as a nation, one nation under God. Mm-hmm. We were brought up as Christians. But I believe that the things that people are striving for, for change to take place, is that we get back to the foundation of what America was, cre- uh, was you know, created around, yeah. which is yeah. love, yeah. unity, and harmony. And especially, as you said, as Christians, then we should be the example of what the world should look like. Mm-hmm. And uh, I believe that people just want, uh, as for me, I can speak for myself. I just want, like someone said, I just want us all just to get along yeah, <laughs> you yeah. know, and become uh, one, one nation, one body of true believers. And not, I mean, you can't build a country on lies and deceit and and trying to tear one another down. I got so sick of listening to politics on TV because every commercial was one person tearing down the other person, and it just got to be just annoying. Yeah, you know? yeah. I think uh, every successful movement in the United States so far has claimed that not that the United States from its root is wrong, not that we should break down the, the system of the United States or tear down the Constitution, but instead that the Constitution was right we just haven't been living up we to it. We need to live it. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that that comes into play with, with moral morality and religion especially is, again, we were created to be a uh, moral and religious society, and so we ought to strive to live up to that original intent mm-hmm. because at the end of the day we know that's what, you know, that worked. That mm-hmm. obviously, you know, we've created a pretty great nation. Uh, so the intent there, the sort of framework was great. We just need to live up to that that sort mm-hmm. of original concept. Um, and Patrick, we have so many now religion in the, I mean, as far as the church world is concerned, we have more, um, um, what you call it, unity amongst the blacks and white and the fellowship, uh, seg- not segregated, but mm-hmm. what's the word I'm looking for where we come together? Um, yeah, integrated. Yeah, integrated. We have more yeah. integrated churches than we've ever had. Yeah, yeah. And everybody's believing in the same God. Everybody can worship together and can praise together. You still have a few that are still the black church and the white church. But in the end, when tragedy comes and things happen, we see everyone coming together as one. The unity comes out when there's there's a tragedy. And it's sad that God has to allow tragedy to come to get our attention. Yeah, I think that's a a good point to bring up is – um, you know, the race in the church, obviously, uh, you know, we were talking beforehand, I've been to a variety of different churches. I've been to everything from home churches where they were hosted in people's houses. I've done 
uh, church in a homeless shelter with uh, homeless homeless men. I've done church, uh, you know, with with you all uh, here in Spring Lake. I've gone to mega churches. I've literally been to essentially the spectrum uh, of church in America. And I will say, you know, I, I think you're right that certainly more than uh, in the 1950s, 60s, 70s, mm-hmm. uh, there's definitely more integrated churches than we saw back then. But uh, I will say. I do think there's still potentially a, a divide. Still growth. There, yeah, there, there is a divide in the mm-hmm. church. Um, and, you know, mm-hmm. my personal belief is that the church ought to, uh, our, our position, our job is to, in society, show, you know, what unity needs to Be look like. Be the example. Yeah. And so mm-hmm. how do you think, who do you think, I guess, owns the responsibility of sort of bridging that, that gap? You know, is it, uh, is it churches working together? Is it individuals just understanding that, you know, we need to we need to be more united. We need to sort of understand our responsibility within society. Like, wh- wh- where do you think we bridge the gap uh, in the church specifically with race? I think we can bridge the gap if through churches is tearing down the the denominational barriers. Yeah, yeah. Because denominations keep people separated. Yeah. And I remember growing up uh, in the early years, you know, the sixties, fifty. I was born in nineteen fifty five, but in the 60s and 70s, we had no problems fellowshipping during that time. We would have a revival uh, in the Baptist church, then the Methodist and every other, the holiness, everybody would come together to uh, have this revival. If you had revival in your church, we would all go there. But then somewhere down the line of time, we became to the point that we have to have ours over here and Mm -hmm. you over here and whatever. But I believe that that is, it starts with, leadership because we we all speak the word of God where God gives the vision to the shepherds and the shepherds put it to the people so if we're hearing the voice of God and he's given us instructions as to how to walk in love and unity then the leaders have to open that door Mm -hmm. in fellowship no matter whether you're black white uh, Presbyterian or Baptist or whatever, yeah. it has to start with the leadership, yep. and that's where the door opens. And I believe that uh, I really believe in prayer and the power of prayer. And if a family prays together, we will grow strong and stay together. And when we say a family, we're not talking about uh, denominations or 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 name families as the Joneses or the Smiths or whatever, but we're talking about the body of Christ coming together on one accord. Yeah. Yeah. I think you probably brought up a, a really good point in that maybe we're not so much divided by, by race, but even more so uh, there's a greater, you know, this isn't it's even something I had thought about, but yeah, denomination is like an even bigger, a bigger mm-hmm. divide in America right now. I mean, mm-hmm. the, the beliefs between, the Catholic Church, the Baptist Church, the Evangelical Church, you know, I think you're right. I think you're probably right that, that uh, there's probably an even greater divide uh, between those. And I know for, for and us— And beliefs. Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah, Definitely. but at the end of the day, I think, you know, do we all believe that, you know, the Bible is the Word of God, that Jesus Christ exactly. came and, and saved us? Uh, I, I think we all believe that, and as long as that's the case, then, you know, we, we're on the same page. Um but we got to do what the Word of God says. Yeah. We can't just read it. Yeah, we have yeah. to become doers of the Word. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but I do get that question a lot is like, what 
denomination are you? Every time I tell somebody, pretty much every time I tell somebody I'm a Christian, mm-hmm. they say, well, what denomination? And it's like, that's a hard question for me to answer because, you know, I, I grew up uh, not really having any denomination. Uh, and then I, I really have carried that, that sort of through of just sort of my belief is that, like you mentioned, it, it's one church. You know, God mm-hmm. didn't, when, whenever you read in the Bible, especially in the early days in Acts, God did not intend the church to be a lot of things that it's become. Mm-hmm. You know, not only denominational, uh, where we've sort of split ourselves based on beliefs uh, and we sort of shun other denominations, but uh, I mean, I think if you look at some of the mega churches that exist, if you look at even uh, what's the where the Pope lives, what's that called? The uh, the Vatican. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you look at the, like the the grandeur of the the Vatican, like was God's intent really so much that uh, one person would live in this enormous place with all this like gold and grandeur Mm -hmm. around him was, you know, did God intend for his preachers to become multi-millionaires where they live in a mansion by themselves and separate themselves. And, and now they're preaching that everybody's a little God, you know, Mm -hmm. we, we've really fallen away. This is, this isn't really where, (laughs) you know, he's trying to get our attention. Yeah. Yeah. We, we started, you know, obviously we started talking about the division of race, but, but whenever we break down the church itself, not only have we fallen away from from God's intent uh, as it pertains to race, because He believes that we're one people, we're one mm-hmm. human race, but we've fallen away from God's intent as it come uh, as it relates to denomination. He doesn't want us to be split up. We, he wants us to be one body. We've fallen away from God's intent uh, when it comes to preachers and, and what their intent was with being shepherds, not just you know people who would become multi gazillionaires or or these like high profile people just because they're preaching the word of God or uh, a false word of God. You know when we were. Um First, when we first left North Carolina to go to Germany, uh, okay, I was Baptist. My first time leaving home, and we went to a little place called Siegelsbach in Germany, and it was a depot, one way on, one way off, one street. The club, the chapel, the snack bar was all there together, you know, and you didn't really have a place to worship unless you went a few miles away to the bigger post. And you, you learn how to get along with uh, the, whatever situation that you find yourself in. Yeah. Um, but I found out in our travels and going back and forth to Germany, we were Baptists, but we had to worship in the Church of God in Christ because there was not a Baptist uh, yeah, yeah. church. We had to worship in the Protestant chapel, you know, singing out the hymn books at another place. And, yeah. and you know, wherever you go, you have to find yourself uh, it's the same God. Yeah. And that makes a difference, you know. Uh, we, you're going to worship wherever you can. So we, we learned how to fellowship together no matter what your race or your belief yeah. was. I, I do wonder, I mean, obviously we travel around a lot, uh, and so because of that we've been able to go to a lot of different churches uh, and, and sort of get an experience of a lot of different things. Um and it has been interesting, you know, t- you're talking about going to different denominations. I think it's been interesting for us uh, to sort of see the strengths and weaknesses of different denominations and just wonder, like, why can we not sort of bring this all together and, mm-hmm. and, and you know, at the end of the day, w- worship the same God. Um, let's change gears a little bit uh, and talk about sort of the effects uh, of all of this on youth. I know, like you mentioned with ASAP, and then whenever we worked together out at Shady Grove, uh, you were very involved with the youth. I think we, we have a very mutual understanding that 
the youth of America today are in a incredibly challenging position. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it would be very hard with the proliferation of cell phones, the internet, social media, uh, everything going on in the world right now. It would be very challenging to be to be a kid. Um, what do you think? Let's see. I think the, the United States right now is telling kids, especially minority kids, that the system is stacked against them, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, they're saying, you know, no matter how hard you work, the system is against you. And so uh, because of that, you're going to be destined for failure. I think that's what we're, we're pushing on youth, minorities especially, and especially uh, low-income, impoverished youth. I think mm-hmm. that is pushed on them a lot. Uh, I know growing up in an, where I did, uh, the sort of expectation is that you're not going to leave. You're going to stay there. And so, you know, really, whenever I, whenever I left to go to college and everything like that, my goal wasn't necessarily to go do all those things. It was just to, to get out. Like, that was the end state. Uh, because everybody just tells you, you're like, you're going to stay here. You're not going to do anything, that kind of thing. Can you just talk a little bit about, I guess, what can we do to sort of inspire the youth from the church side? You know, what, what can our, our voice do from the church uh, to sort of counteract what maybe society is telling the youth today, how do we how do we give encouragement to today's children to say, hey, there's there's a lot more than what you know society tells you. Well, they've never one thing I can say they've never seen anything like what we're going through now. Yeah, and they they never they they don't even understand what we're going through now. Um, and the church has to have a vision for young people. The Bible says to train them up in the way that they should go, and when they get old, they won't depart from it. Mm-hmm. But right now, the attention is on everything but the youth. Um, I thank God for my niece. Uh, those of you that know Angela Marks, that's her ministry. It's for young people, and she's reaching out and striving to teach young people at their level. Okay, uh, you know coming to church, the kids don't want to sit and listen to uh, the adult sermon, you know, yeah. and they go to sleep, they get irritable. and uh, But there should always be something available for the children, yeah. not us speaking over them or at them, but at putting them in the direction that they can find themselves for themselves. Like you said, you don't want them to stay here where they are yeah. uh, all their life and never have a goal. And I can say this, I thank God for you, Patrick, for when you came to the church and you began to look for the needs and the desires of each one of the young people. And when you took the young man to Methodist College just to show him what college life was going to be about, he wanted to be an engineer, to show him what it required to be an engineer. Other than just reading it in a book off a piece of paper, a lot of kids learn visually and they can't learn audibly and or reading it they have difficulty comprehending but doing something like that it really opened up his mind and it's something he'll never forget yeah he may not reach that goal but he'll never forget that someone reached out to him and saw the desire to try to help him go in the right direction and we hope that that seed once that seed is planted, no matter what it is or who it is, when you find out what the child wants in life and try to guide them in that direction, that when they get old, then they'll think about somebody help me to get to where I'm, I'm going or yeah. where I got to. Yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, I, 
obviously, uh, uh, I'm very interested in politics and society, culture, uh, and sort of how the, the church plays a role in that. Um, and just like you're talking about, you know, I think that we really have to get involved in the youth of today from the church perspective, because if you look at historically how communities sort of helped one another, uh, a lot of times that, that help came in the church. It used to be that there was wealthy people in a the church, there's poor people in a church. Mm-hmm. We identify a need and we say, all right, well, you know, these people are able to identify this need and help them uh, help somebody with that need. That's, that's the role that the church sort of mm-hmm. played at a societal level. And now we've sort of, you know, we've talked about the division among uh, denomination or whatever it may be. We sort of split our ways, uh, and now we don't have that same sense of community. And I think that there's a there's a huge gap right now uh, that, if left unfilled, the government will try to fulfill it. Uh, it'll do it poorly because it's a government program. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the church really needs to, to, to step in and sort of fill the gap of providing for today's youth. You know, one, one stat that I like to use, and I, I used it a lot whenever we were at Shady Grove, was uh, there's three things that give you a 98% chance of uh, getting out of poverty. If you're a kid right now under the age of 18 and uh, you're living in poverty uh, or below the poverty line or you're an impoverished kid, there's three things uh, that give you a 98% chance of getting out of that in your life. Number one is graduate high school. Number two is get any job. And number three is don't get married or have kids before the age of 21. If you do those three things, you have a 98% chance Mm -hmm. of getting out of poverty. Like those are not super incredibly difficult things to do, right? Mm -hmm. And so I guess uh, one thing I've been trying to to emphasize is like, why is the church not getting people to do that? Like why, you know, if you're a church and you have children at your church, all right, well, if a kid's not going to graduate high school, like, why are we not trying to help him with schoolwork? If a kid isn't going to get, sorry, yeah, go ahead. Well, you have this, you have to look at the fact, too, that we're living in a time now that the adults have to be trained how to reach these children. Because you can't talk to them like, we, they used to talk to us, yeah. you know. I've been accused of being a harsh person. <laughs> but uh, trying to get get the focus of uh, young people, you still have to be able to talk to them to see. you got to be able to show them that you do care. Yeah, You have to get their attention to know that there is a concern. But, see, if you don't know how to reach a child, if you don't know how to meet their needs, then – that's where the problem is. Yeah. The, the adults have to be educated. And I think I've heard Angie say this before. The adults have to be educated on how to reach this, this generation of young people. Yeah. Yeah. Okay? Because we have a different generation. Uh, they don't have a problem looking you in your face and cussing you out. Yeah. You know? But yeah, right. when we did that, you knew you were getting a hand. It didn't have to be mama or dad. It, it was the neighbor or anybody else. If, yeah. if You know, you disrespected an adult. Yeah. But it's teaching, but it has to start with the adults being able to reach this generation of young people. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a good point. But you got to have a desire to want to reach them. Yeah, and yeah. and most of the time, it has to be a ministry within your heart to re- to reach young people. But if you don't, somebody's got to come up because yeah. these are the ones that are going to be leading us when we're old. They're going to be the ones that's leading our children or grandchildren and whatever that are, you know, it's just really hard to look back and see the church has to put into place. You can't do things the same. Even after this uh, 
pandemic, we can't go back to church doing the same old thing. Yeah. There has to be a change. There has to be a new focus. Yeah. And God has to be that focus. Yeah. 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 How do you think that? How do you think that the church can uh, help parents or help adults understand sort of the need for uh, to get involved in the youth? You know, how do you, you know, what kind of programs or I don't know, you know, do you have any ideas on on how we can sort of emphasize that with adults even? You know, because I think for me, it would be easy for me to, to go in and just like be like, all right, I'm going to go into this church and I'm going to get involved with youth. Uh, but that's because, you know, I've, I've done it before and I have an interest right. in it. Um, how do we, I don't know, do we, do we just tell, like emphasize that, Hey, like if we don't do this, you know, our, our, our children are destined for failure or for, for lawlessness. Uh, or how do we, how do we do that? How do we get that across to, to parents maybe? Well, I think it starts with first finding, uh, taking an inventory of the gifts within the church. Mm-hmm. You have to have a gift to reach young people, to, di- to even come up with the ideas that they would be interested in because like you said earlier the iphones the ipads and all these that's all their games and whatever uh if you can take any of those things which i have seen angie do take any of those things and turn it around and use it to be educational and fun Mm -hmm. you know they don't want no boring stuff yeah you know but it's go- it's just going to take training, and it's going to take a lot of teaching um, for the church to change. Uh, it's going to take finding out where the gifts are within the church. It's no use in putting a 70-year-old man or woman to teach a bunch of uh, middle school kids, mm-hmm. and they have never dealt with children. Yeah. You know, yeah. you have to find out where the who the one who the ones are that are gifted. Mm-hmm to relate to children and to do things with children, you know, and take them outside of the church. All the teaching can't be done inside Inside the the church. church. You got to take them outside to things they like to do and have fun and then have the vision to turn it around where at the same time it's fun, but they're being educated at the same time. Yeah. 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 I think that's a good point. Um, yeah, I think, uh, I think that, you know, obviously, I emphasize the church getting involved uh, with both the youth or, or really any of the problems that we have in society. But um, at the end of the day, it also comes down to parents, uh, you know, whether or not parents are involved with with their kids, whether or not they're teaching them, um, you know, helping them with schoolwork, helping them with with their walk with Christ, whatever it may be. Uh, can you talk a little bit? I think this will probably be the last question, but can you talk about a little bit about um Maybe you're just raising kids. You know, you, you're a mother. Uh, can you talk a little bit about raising kids to, um, you know, follow Christ, uh, to get involved, to, uh, you know, what, what what what's your recommendations, I guess, you know? Uh, well, I grew up as a, a young person in the Baptist Church, Williams Chapel in mm-hmm. Spring Lake. That was my home church. And I was the youth leader for a, a long time. And I found out, Different timing, but same situation where young people just want to be accepted. They don't want to be rejected. They want to feel that they are accepted. No matter what their faults are, they want to feel like that, as you said, don't look at as one being more uh, because of the house they live in or the car they drive. 
don't judge them according to that. Yeah. Um, young people want to, they want to feel free to express themselves yeah. without someone coming down on them because of this is the way I feel, yeah. you know. And so I feel that, you know, we can reach our young people, uh, but we have to listen to them first. Let them yeah. talk. Hear what they hear their heart's desire. Hear what their faults are because they have some they have some problems with us yeah. <laughs> as yeah. adults. Yeah. But we need to hear them and then say, what can we do to fix the situation, to bridge the gap yeah. that, that we have between the generations? Yeah. Awesome. I think that's a, uh, a good way to end it. So I appreciate your time. And uh, yeah, thanks for thanks for having us. We'll see hey, thanks so much for listening to the Millennial God podcast. Make sure to rate us and leave a review so others can find out about us. If you want to support this podcast and keep us on the air, click on the link in the show description to find out how. And if you ever have any questions or want to reach out, you can contact us at millennialgodpodcast at protonmail.com. That's millennialgodpodcast at protonmail.com.